Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, look at that. Old Jacob's got himself a a whole new plan, right? You remember last week? Last episode, I don't know if it's last week, because you might be binging this right now, and it could have just been like 45 minutes ago. Last episode, Jacob is interacting with Laban. He works out a plan. And and in those verses, it kind of sounds like there's some time we're not sure what. Well, in this chapter, chapter 31, we do see, and I'm sure eventually I might read the verse, but generally speaking, from the time that, that he made those arrangements after the birth of Joseph to the time that this chapter begins is about six years. So you have multiple seasons of birthing that goes on with the with the lambs and the goats. And don't forget, he's also accumulated camels and donkeys, which, of course, allow for uh, movement in of his family. You can load up those animals. Those are pack animals, travel animals, sturdy, desert. What do they call? What do they call the camels? Desert, desert elephants, right? Anyways, they're they're. He's got he's got what he needs. Basically, he's. I think he's got a plan. I don't. I don't think he has the timing of it yet. But I think in his mind, right? He started when Joseph. He's like, I need to go back to my family. So he's made arrangements for it. He's accumulated necessary supplies for a trip across the desert to go back to his family, to go back to his his home, to go back to the inheritance and the blessing that he left behind. And in essence, Esau has been running for 20 years. This whole trip, remember when he left? When he left, he had barely enough to get there. Because the idea was he's not going to be there long. He doesn't need to show up with 10 camels worth of of dowry. He can find a girl that he's interested in, make arrangements. He can be back here in a month. We'll put together the whole plan. You know, uh, Rebecca's probably thinking my family will come down. Everything, we'll have a huge party and the blessing will be passed on to Jacob and he'll live here and I'll get to raise my grandchildren. There was this whole idealistic world that I think Rebecca dreamed of and she never sent for Jacob. That had to hurt. That had to hurt. No wonder he was still afraid after, you know, 10 years, 12 years, 14 years. He's still afraid thinking Esau's still there. Mom never sent for me. There's a reason why mom said she'd send for me when Jacob's when Esau's anger subsided. So that means it hasn't. That means the promise still stands. The commitment of Esau to kill me still stands. Like there's there's a level of uncertainty that he's lived with for now 20 years. But over the last six years, he's he's kind of taken the lead on it. He's decided, all right, eventually I'm going back. Eventually I've got to grab this, this uh, blessing. I have wives. I have multiple sons. I have the inheritance, the, the ancestral inheritance to move forward with the blessing of Abraham. Esau does not. Now, you remember Esau did marry a relative of Ishmael in in hopes to kind of bridge the gap for his mom and dad because it was really clear when they sent, to him anyways, 
that when he when they sent Jacob away, it was like, okay, they don't like my wives. They really want a relative to be involved in the perpetuation of this blessing. I should marry another wife from a you know from a tribe that we're related to. So he married one of Ishmael's uh, daughters. Well, not daughters, but you know through through the bloodline. All of this is floating around, and for six years he's been working to gain his his wages. Now we find out. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 41. 20 years he was in the household, right? 14 for the two daughters and six years to earn wages. And it says that Laban changed the wages 10 times. 10 times. This is a man, Laban is a man who's desperate for control, manipulation, the belittling and humiliation of those that are around him. I can't, you know, working for this guy, I can imagine because I have a really good imagination, I can imagine how nobody did anything right. It didn't matter how much you brought in, it didn't matter how well you did, you weren't good enough to be even considered you know, worthy to be at his table. You were lucky he let you breathe. He probably was a lot like those maniacal uh, uh, drug dealers, right, from Narcos on Netflix. Man, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to that. Not addicted. I love watching those. Mostly because, you know, I was alive during all of that as a teenager in high school and, and then later in college. Like, I remember all the names of these guys. That, uh, I know. Sorry. Bob's like, Bob, stop talking about Mexican drug cartels and South American drug cartels. On with the story. Well, I'm just saying, uh, Laban reminds me of that type of character because he was so maniacal about making sure that he was the he was the one that was going to be benefited. Remember, he jumped into this deal thinking that that uh, Jacob was an idiot. And then every time he would walk by Jacob's flocks, it was like they were bigger, stronger, and they were all speckled. And he'd say, you know what? I want the speckled ones. And you get to keep the plain ones. All right? And the, the wages would switch. And then all of the plain ones started to produce, and all of the strong ones were plain, and all... And Laban would come in and be like, dang it, I'm switching it again. Ten times in six years. That's that's like uh, legit panic when it comes to a business, uh, a business uh, arrangement. That's panic. Laban's been panicked for six years. This guy keeps getting more and more wealth. He's three days away from me. And every time I go to check on him, he's way wealthier than he should be in this amount of time. And I seem to be getting weaker. And people are noticing. People want the the skins and the uh, you know the wool from Jacob's uh, flocks, not mine. They make deals with him. He's got the best looking camels, the best looking donkeys. My wife, my my daughters, and my grandchildren are over there. Those are we see that in this in this chapter several times. He calls them mine. Laban did not consider uh, Jacob as the husband of of Rachel and Leah. He considered uh, Jacob, the husband of his daughters. And the grandchildren were not the children of Jacob. They were his grandchildren. Like he's so possessive and maniacal. This man is way more than just a deceiver. He is, he, he, he is certifiable. Like he, if you brought him to a psychiatrist, psychologist, which one, one's a drugs distributor. And the other one is, a. Uh, is the counselor type of person, right? 
one of them one of them just basically is like you're chemically imbalanced let me write your prescription i i know i shouldn't belittle what they do i'm sure they're highly educated i'm just saying just saying they probably would have both had an opportunity to uh to uh bill uh laban's um, uh hmo anyways on with the story <laughs> Uh, chapter chapter 31 verse 1 we see that there is there is trouble in the camp Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father and Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been and the Lord said to Jacob go back to the land of your fathers to your relatives and I'll be with you so Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah. He's like, come on out here in the fields and, and meet with me. And it wasn't just like, it wasn't just like, come on out for a walk. I want to talk to my wives. It was like, come, come out with, it's come away, like come away with me. So there's a lot of jealousy, right? It's not surprising that Laban's sons would also be maniacal and manipulative and controlling and they know that the wages keep changing and they they observe um, Jacob's wealth keeps growing. And so they start they start making noise in the culture of their community that basically Jacob's a thief. He's a foreigner who came into our father's riches and now has taken them all. Like it Jacob's Jacob's flocks. And the strength of his flocks have gotten so more so superior to Laban that Laban now looks like he's weak. He looks like he's poor, like he's barely surviving. And the sons who used to be probably looked up to, uh, people wanted advice from them. Well, you know, where where are you taking your flocks this year? Like, who's when are you guys going to shear your sheep? You know, what's what party? What parties are you going to? Now people are like, they don't care. And this is bothersome, right? When you're full of arrogance and selfishness and jealousy and pride and yada, yada, yada. When, when you realize that people don't care what you're doing, that's, that's trouble. So they, they, want, they want Jacob taken care of. And the father picks up on this. He's hearing the reports and he's thinking, good grief, like I've changed his wages 10 times in six years. Nobody's going to put up with that for very long. He's got the resources. I, I'm not sure what to do. And so I think in this, for me, the attitude of this verse, and Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. You see, you change wages of somebody you think you can, you can control. You change wages of somebody who's going to be compliant. You take away things that people want when you, and, and then promise them more if they, if they become compliant, if they become submissive. I think his attitude changed toward Jacob because he realized this plan isn't working and the only way I get control is through violence. That's that's your next step. If manipulation doesn't work, violence is the next step. And you can see that in governments and, and all over the world. You can see it in tribes, in, in tribal nations. It's just the way it is. Violence is the next step. And I would imagine it would mean that Jacob's going to die. Because Laban already considers those girls his daughters, not Jacob's wives. He already considers those children his grandchildren, not Jacob's sons. And he considers all of Jacob's riches 
his fault, even though he knows he separated out everything that Jacob started with and gave it to him in an agreement. Everybody knows that, but but it's still, they're not going to go for it. They believe all of this belongs to their father. So Jacob, uh, you know, Jacob gets a word from the Lord, and he, and the God says, "You need to you need to head out." So he sends for Leah and Rachel, brings them in. He's like, "Look, it. I I see your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before. Like we all know, he's been a lying, deceiving, conniving, manipulative prick. But it looks like things have shifted to something worse. So I'm thinking, even though God's been with me." And I clearly have all kinds of wealth at this point, way more than I should in a six-year period of time, especially having my wages changed 10 times. You know that I've still worked for your father, and yet your father has cheated me. However, even though he's all that, all of that, right, God's been for me. And then he goes through kind of the description. God has done this, God has done that, the breeding seasons, this went on and that went on, and the angel of the Lord came to me and told me, hey, Jacob, this is what's going on, you need to pay attention to this, pay attention to that, but, uh, you know, I am, uh, verse 13, I am the God of Bethel where you were anointed, and the and the and you built the pillar where you made a vow to me, now leave this land at once, go back to your native land. So he walks his wives through the story. And they all know the story, but he kind of bullet points it for him. I'm guessing it was longer than five verses or six verses long. He talks them all the way through it. He's like, look at all the evidence. Da, 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 da. And in it, he does mention the Lord a few times. But I think more so for what I gained from that is, is that he and the Lord were still in conversation. Even though he had a freak show of a family life, and we covered that in the last episode, God is still there. Like his mercy and goodness is still there. He's not afraid of sin. He doesn't he doesn't shun you because you're making bad choices. He's still there with you. This is such such a precious gift of God's character that we cannot miss in these stories. It's not an approval of what you do. It's it's a it's a evidence of his goodness. I see the evidence of your goodness. That's, that's probably an old song at this point. Anyways. Move along, Bob. We're not here for a concert. Well, thank you very much. I will. So Rachel and Leah, they reply. I doubt they did it in unison, but basically they shared this opinion. Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what he was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you to do. What are they saying in all that? They agree that they are ready to go. Because all the wealth that they had was tied to their father. They were not allowed to spend things that that Laban didn't give them to spend. They weren't allowed to take things that Laban didn't allow them to take. And they're saying, listen, we want our wealth to be tied to you. We want independence from our father. The whole concept of, of you know, consistent control and manipulation, like they are done with it. They want out. They want what is theirs and they want what's theirs for their children. It's interesting that they... They consider themselves to be slaves. Not only did he sell us for 14 years of labor, 
and he kept all of that wealth and has wasted it all, right? When you're looking at what happened over the last six years, all the wealth that Jacob had brought into the family line, all of the, and, you know, all, all the wealth that all of Laban's sons were enjoying, they spent it all. Because in their head they had a, they had the golden you know the golden goose they had the man who was connected to God that was never going to stop making money for the family he was a foreigner who was under their complete control six years later they're ready to kill him because there's no way to stop him from gaining more wealth than they have they they are panicked and the girls know they look at their children and they're like they will our sons will basically be slaves in our father's household if we don't get out of here so do whatever you need to do then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with the goods he had accumulated in Pada Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan so Jacob is very this is what you know a couple of things that pop out of me He's very public in his moving, right? He doesn't leave in the middle of the night. He doesn't leave all the wealth and, and you know, tents and all that stuff behind. He sends his, his daughters back or his, his wives back. He, he gets his sons all back. He's like, let's just pack up everything and go. The servants take down the, the tents. They pack up all the furs. They pack up all the wealth. They pack up all the supplies. They load down the camels and the donkeys and... And then he gets the, you know, his sons and the various servants um, and shepherds that he, hey, that are in his employ. And he drives him out ahead, which was not unusual, right? They probably would have started a couple days prior because animals can't travel quickly or they lose a ton of weight and they start dying off quickly. They need the water, they need the food. So you, you send your flocks ahead by several days and then the rest of you kind of, you're going to eventually catch up to them. But but it's a little easier on everybody to begin with. So they take off. It's very public. It's very public. And, and I'm guessing anybody that saw that happening was thinking, no big deal. Like, I'm sure Laban knows what's going on. I mean, it's not like he's running. It's not like he's under a, a heavy pace and light load and, and you know, looking over his shoulder. He's just packed up and moving. I mean, he already lived three days away from Laban anyways, so to move around wouldn't have been a big deal. And as he, you know, kind of moved out of the region, did he pick a road that wasn't all that, you know, popular? I don't know. But three days later, Laban's at a, at a sheep shearing thing, so that basically is a big party. Big party. All the relatives are there. All his sons would have been there. They're shearing the sheep. It's a time to, in essence, count your money. Now his sheep are weak and they're not as big as Jacob's and they're not the the wool isn't as fine as Jacob's so he's he's in a place of desperation. He's hoping that this is a really good year. He's looking around and he's wondering now I want you know like what how much how much is Jacob going to get this year? What's what's my bottom line going to be? He also is probably thinking this is the year that I that I might you know, take Jacob out and I'll get all of his riches. So maybe he's, he's, you know, dreaming of the day. But while he's there, he gets word. Jacob's gone. I, it, it says Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Like it took several days, I think, for people to figure out, 
Where did he go? I don't know. I, he, he, he went walking down that road with his family. Yeah, but like how far? I, he never, I don't know. And I would imagine a few of the shepherds who always talked to each other, right? They were, they were considered kind of the, the newsboys of the day. Eventually they found out he hadn't stopped. He's still walking. He's three days out. He's gone. He's in the hill country. And word gets back to Laban. Laban takes all his relatives, basically puts together a posse, and they ride hard for seven days to catch up with them in the hill country. Now, <laughs> interestingly, God comes to Laban that night. He's he's God sends a dream. I, I love dreams. God's, God's a great communicator. God always finds ways to get through. You don't have to know him or love him for God to get through to you. You are somebody who he loves. You are somebody he created. You are somebody who can reflect him in the fullness of his being. So he's not afraid to get into your dreams. He's not afraid to send you messages. So he sends him a message. I think it's interesting. He's like, hey, be careful. Don't say anything uh, to Jacob, good or bad. And what is what is God doing? Is this a threat? Is God threatening? God threatens Laban. A God comes down from heaven and he lets Laban know that if you touch my anointed, then you will reap the benefits of what you've done. You will be put to death is what God is saying. Do not touch God's anointed. Do not touch the one that has received the blessings of God. Wow, that's a lot of red lines on that one. <laughs> That was kind of fun. I haven't done, haven't done that kind of preaching in a while. But that's the attitude that a lot of preachers have when they when they preach this, right? Jacob, Jacob shares the blessings of God. Jacob has the blessings of God. So therefore, Laban, you can't touch him. You can't say anything good or bad about him. You can't, you know, and preachers will preach about themselves. You can't say you can't say anything bad about me. You can't spread gossip and rumors about me. You can't. You can't touch God's anointed. That's what the Bible says. I, I, I'm just preaching the word here. This is the word. So, the next day, Jacob had pitched his tent. Laban, Laban caught up with him. And they camped around him. I would imagine it was an interesting meeting. Right? I'm sure Jacob knew eventually this was going to happen. He was probably hoping to get all the way back to his homeland, but that's all right. In comes Laban. Now, Jacob has the confidence that he's doing what God is has told him to do. He's like, hey, it's time for you to leave because Laban's probably going to kill you, and I'll be with you. So he's put his trust in God at this point. I really think that's about all he's got. He probably has, a, you know, obviously he has a bunch of sons, and he's got a bunch of shepherds and servants. He's got resources around him, but there's a posse that showed up for him. So Laban says to Jacob, so what have you done? You deceived me. You've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly? Why didn't you tell me? So I could send you away with joy and singing to the music and timbrels and harps. You didn't even let me kiss my own grandchildren, my daughters. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to kill you. But last night, your God showed up and said, I shouldn't. So you're just a lucky man. 
but you've gone off because you want to go to your father's house, but why'd you steal my gods? Why'd you take my idols? Jacob answered Laban, and he answered him honestly, right? I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters back, that you would you would you know take them away by force. What what he means is, I was pretty confident you were going to kill me, and then they would become yours, and all of my sons would become your servants. Huh. Now you know Laban clearly his perspective on this is off, and I know you could say. I mean, I look at it, I think he's clearly saying bad things about Jacob. He calls him a liar and a deceiver. He, he, uh, you know, mis, misrepresents what he did. He didn't run off secretly. He ran off publicly. He literally just walked away. But the idea that he stole the, the that Jacob, you know, stole the idol, the family idols was bothersome to, to Jacob. He's like, listen, you can look for your gods. No one here has them. If, if anyone... In my camp, has your gods, I'll kill them. So Laban went through all of Jacob's sense. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the family gods. I, it says that she took them out of the house when Laban was gone. So it must have been sheep shearing time. They knew Laban was out of the house. She's packing up, and she figured out a way to stop by the house and grab the family gods, something that evidently she found comforting. Something she knew would always remind her of home. This is, you know, this is, I, so many people look at Rachel as, you know, as this, uh, some sort of form of protection, uh, perfection as a wife and mother, because she was the favored uh, wife of Jacob. But honestly, she struggles with her walk with God. She grew up in a family of idols and idol worshipers. She looks around and she goes, okay, I'm leaving and this guy is is telling me that we're going to worship one God, this God named Yahweh. You know, we're going back to the land of his people, which means I should be adopting their practices, which is the worship of this God, Yahweh. I'm going to bring a God that I'm used to, a God that I'm comforted by, a God that I like to talk to. And so she goes and she takes the family idol. So she, uh, you know, Laban goes into uh, Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, the two female servants tents. He can't find anything. He goes into, uh, he came, he enters into Rachel's tent. Rachel's like, don't be angry with me. I can't stand up. I'm having my period. So he searched, but you know, but he couldn't find the household gods because of course she's sitting on them. She put them in a bag and put them under her and there she's sitting. And, and when women would have their monthly friend, <laughs> I say that just in case you're listening with children who might need an explanation later. Uh, they would sit basically on a, on a small hole that would they would fill up with rags. And then when the rags were soaked, they would take them out and they would, uh, sometimes they'd just bury them there in the hole, but often they would burn them because of like, uh, basically... They wouldn't call it disease, but they just knew. Like it wasn't good to have blood. It could bring um, it could bring carnivores and other things that would start tracing you and, and and use your scent to to bring you harm or, or come into the family and search you out. So, anyways, Laban Laban, of course, is looking for all these things, and he uh, he. 
he can't find it. She's sitting on him, but but he's not going to ask her to get up because it was even even though he didn't worship Yahweh, it was still considered culturally horrible to to you know to move a woman who's having her period. So he didn't move her. He trusted her. Now Laban has played the victim. He played you know again through because he wants to manipulate. He's like I'm their father. I'm the grandfather. Uh, I, I'm obeying God because I'm not killing you. <laughs> like, you didn't obey God because you snuck away. You're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. And you stole my idols. So Jacob's like, look for him. So he looks for them all. He goes through everybody's stuff. He can't find them. His daughter is lying to him about it, which is interesting, right? Her respect and honor of him. And then in verse 36, Jacob was angry. He took, he took Laban to task. He's like, what is my crime? How have I wronged you that you would hunt me down? Now that's a that's a that's passion right there. He's calling out the fact that they had a contractual arrangement and Jacob fulfilled all of it. Not only did he fulfill it, he allowed Laban to change it 10 times in 6 years. I asked you 6 years ago if I could put together a separate flock so I could go see my my father, so I could go to my father's land, my father's people. And we made an arrangement. It wasn't, it wasn't, let me raise my own flock and kids three days away from you and put together my own family compound. You knew when we made the arrangement, the arrangement was I was going to leave one day. So I left. I didn't do it secretly. I left in the middle of the day. I didn't run away. I took everything with me and we walked. What crime have I done that you hunt me down and, and pretend that somehow you're showing mercy to me by not killing me and taking my daughter, your daughter's home as, as slaves again. It's, I mean, this is this is a passionate call out to Laban. He's like, yeah, now you've searched through all my goods. What have you found? Nothing. So put it here in front of your relatives and mine. Let them judge between the two of us. And he, he basically stands in front of the sons and in front of his sons and probably a bunch of the shepherds. And he and he re, uh, reiterates the way that he was taken advantage of for 20 years. And he says in verse 42, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and, and the fear of, of, of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed, but God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and, and last night he rebuked you. He didn't come to me and warn me about you. He warned you about what you were about to do and how it could bring it could bring death down on your head. You see, I don't think God showed up to Laban and be like, hey, Laban, you do this, I'm going to kill you. He showed up and said, hey, Laban, just so you know, I know, I know the choices that you've made to align yourself with, with the frequency of darkness is going to bring about death. I'm telling you right now, you are right on the edge. Do not do anything to push this over the edge. Because if you do, you are going over the edge. So Laban answers Jacob, the women are my daughters. The children are my children. 
The flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. <laughs> Laban again approaches the whole situation as a victim and the owner. There is nothing there that belongs to Jacob as far as uh, Laban is concerned. It all belongs to him. In his mind, Jacob arrived empty-handed and should go home empty-handed. That includes his daughters. He does not want to send his daughters out of his hands. He enjoys control. He enjoys uh, manipulation. And when he doesn't get it, he's the victim. And he, you know, any victim can prove it. Trust me. It's, it's ridiculous. The victim mentality is ridiculous when it comes to this kind of mindset. And then he goes on. He basically concedes. What can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children that they have born? In other words, I, I, I've got really nothing because you're right, but they're all mine, just so you know. And it's your fault that I'm going to go down, you know, without, go home without them. So let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone instead of a pillar, and the Laban set up a, a pillar, and they called it different names, and they had a, you know, they pulled everybody together, and they called on God to watch between them, and and Laban's concern was, you know, don't mistreat my daughters or take any wives that aren't my daughters, even though no one is of, no one is with us. In other words, he's like, I, I don't want you to marry anybody else. I don't want you to to have any more kids from anybody else. Uh, and just remember, even though I'm not sending any of my sons with you to keep an eye on you, God's going to keep an eye on us. And he said, so here's this, you know, this heap of rocks, you know, you don't come over here to harm me. I won't come over past this rock to harm you. And it goes on and on. They offered sacrifices there in the hill country and they invited the relatives to a meal. So they ate together and they showed hospitality to each other. And they, they spent the night hanging out and they all got up in the morning. And the reason why they spent the night is because this shows not only hospitality, but also trust right? Laban was there to kill Abraham. Uh, Laban was there to kill Jacob. And the fact that Jacob, you know, uh, put up this covenant, it was like an honor thing of the covenant to say, okay, I trust you. You're not going to kill me. We'll sleep in the same place. We'll sleep, you know, our tents will be close together. We'll have a meal together. We'll laugh and talk together. Then they said goodbye and they went to their separate homes. It says, um, uh, Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and he blessed them. I'm guessing that probably took a couple hours. And then he mounted up and went home. And all his sons went with him. And Jacob, you know, mounted up, loaded up, and continued moving with the flocks toward his home. But who would await him? His brother. Oh... That could be trouble. We'll look at that next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. Welcome back to Bob Thoughts. Can I just add something on to uh, even, even again from last week? Like the whole attitude toward women and in the Bible, and how for so many 
preachers, like we don't touch it. And I don't know why. Why has the church completely ignored how manipulative and abusive the culture toward women had become, especially uh, throughout the Old Testament? I mean, even in today's story, right, you have the two wives of, of, of Jacob are considered still to be owned by their father. And that's his whole point when he goes after him in the wilderness is like, hey, I need my daughters and my children brought back to me. There's this, there's this, I don't know, it's just, it's a horrible attitude. And yet I don't ever remember in all the years that I was in church and all the years that I preached not every week, because I was not ever the senior pastor, although I am currently looking for a position. If you know of any church that could take this kind of radical message, just let me know, because, uh, you know, message me privately. Anyways, all the years that I preached it, taught it to youth groups and, and, and you know, leaders, and occasionally on a Sunday morning, I never once remember going at it from how terrible this father of the faith treated and, and his attitude toward women. How far had they fallen from the original identity and destiny that God had presented so clearly in Genesis, in the beginning? These guys were a lot closer to the beginning than we were, than we are. And yet the, the, the approach, the, the disconcerted hierarchy that had already taken place between, between men and women is honestly, it's, it is breathtaking the difference between the God's presentation of Adam and Eve and what we've been seeing here, not just here, we saw it, we saw it throughout the, the book of Genesis, but, but just here again, just so clearly they were considered, they were considered property and they were treated as such. I, I just, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. And I just, those, that's what's on my heart, uh, not heart. That was in my brain today for some of my thoughts. I also want to send a shout out to Barbara Shobe, she was uh, she was spot on a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys pay attention to the promo slides that I send up on my uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts, of which you are all welcome to participate. Uh, you know, if you don't follow me on those places, feel free. But I, uh, I, I I put up these promos and and uh, and the uh, episode had gone out. Well, the wrong episode had gone out. So I had matched it with the, in essence, the wrong promos as well. And she messages me uh, personally in Messenger and says, hey, whatever happened to <laughs> the next part of the story? Why do we skip an entire chapter? I was like, no, 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 everything's fine. I just, I mislabeled it, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, wait a minute, maybe, you know, I, when I listened to the podcast, and I do listen every time it comes out on Monday morning, I, I listen to it. I was, I thought to myself, wow, that, that seems like I, like that, something seemed wrong. And then I thought, no, Bob, by the, I mean, because by the time it comes out on Monday, I've already listened to it probably four times, plus I actually recorded it. So I thought, you're just, you're just like, you know, whatever. I remember the, ne- the, re- the, the, the part that theoretically is missing. I'm sure she's, you know, she was wrong. And then I was like, actually, I, and I went back again. I went back and I was like, dang it, we did miss it. We loaded the wrong one. So I reached out to my producer, and of course, he volunteers, bless his heart. And uh, he was out with his family that day. It was like Halloween night or whatever, and 
we didn't get around to it. He messages me back at like 1 a.m. and says, okay, it's all fixed. And I was like, 1 a.m., dude, what are you doing out of bed? Oh, man, bless his heart. And it was. It, it took a while to get around the World Wide Web. I think it finally got on iTunes. That was the last place that it loaded uh, on their platform, I think, by 9 o'clock in the morning. But we got the right one up finally. So some of you might not even know because you're a few weeks behind. But, yes, for about 24 hours, uh, people were able to listen to a week ahead, a week in advance. But uh, that's all right. Considered a preview. Or some of you got ahead. So now now we're all decently in an order. And thank you, Barbara. Or I honestly would have never caught it. I would have never caught it because I, I just thought, well, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I just, I'm just remembering, uh, you know, whatever. I was misremembering. Anyways, bless you guys. I appreciate those of you that listen regularly. Reach out anytime. Uh, we love you all here at the Epic Narrative and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Thank you.